0: Welcome to another Exploratory Journey episode, and in today's episode I'm joined by Peter Bruce Clark, who is a partner at Social Impact Capital in New York, and in this episode we discuss what social impact venture is, using tech for good, and advice for the next generation of investors. Hi, and welcome to another Exploratory Journey episode. And today I'm joined by Peter. Hi, and thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: Would you be able to tell us a bit more about kind of yourself and a little bit of a career introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah,
1: sure. So, um, you know, my back, a little bit of background about myself. Uh, so I am British-American-Australian. I'm um, a bit of a hybrid. Uh, I've spent the last sort of decade of my life uh, in Silicon Valley. Um, and you know, before that, grew up mostly in the UK and, and partly in Australia when I was a lot younger. Um, and really, um, you know, my my career in venture and what I do today um, has basically happened over the last, you know, eight to ten years. Um, and I think, you know, for me back in the day when I, when I was in London um, and I had a very sort of traditional finance and sort of consulting back then, back then this was sort of pre-tech um, boom, I guess, that we've experienced to date. Um, there, there wasn't really the option of, of creating a new business that wasn't really robust as an ecosystem in London. Um, and I think that all of the ideas that I had about the future and what I wanted to achieve, um, I suddenly got an opportunity to go to the Bay Area to do work around impact investing, um, working with a variety of family offices and Stanford and institutional investors to really start thinking about you know, what that might look like. Um, how could you do that through an investment vehicle? Um, and so you know, I think everything that I do today is reflective of all of that curiosity um, and,
0: um,
1: you know, wanting to see some efficacy in the things that I do every day. Um, So when I got to the Bay Area, uh, I did a lot of work um, with different families, venture capital firms, private equity firms, really drilling into what impact was. And then in a very classic Silicon Valley sort of narrative, I ended up and they launch a bunch of companies, um, one which was a management consultancy for institutional investors, so large sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, et cetera, um, and some family offices, which got acquired uh, into a startup that uh, actually recently got acquired by ADAPA, uh, which is a math wealth management platform, which is worth about $2 billion now. Uh, and even trying to launch my own my, my own fun when i was sort of young and slightly naive about what what, it, what was possible uh, what you could do with limited track record and then more recently you know now i work uh, at social impact Capital where i get to do what i was studying you know and and uh, researching back in the day uh, and it's a lot of fun it's very fast paced and you know i just i just love what i get to do
0: right now well, the social impact capital seems pretty cool. Um, would you be able to say a bit more about, you know, your current role um, and what sort of work you get up to?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm a partner at the firm alongside Sarah Cohn. Uh, she's the founder. Essentially, there are three or four different functions at a VC firm. Um, you know, it really spans anywhere from originating great deals, diligencing and investing in companies, um, supporting your portfolio. Um, I'd say also growing your own investor base and limited partner base uh, and also building brand awareness in the service of those three things. Um, of course, there's also fund ops, um, which is you know, a sort of back and middle office function. So, um, what I help with uh, is deal origination and investment decisions, but specifically on the impact front, uh, portfolio support, as well as a lot of uh, our sort of uh, outbound and external facing relationships whether that's LPs, our venture partners and advisors or our syndicate relationships. So other venture capital firms that we do deals with. Um, I also set up the fund from scratch operationally back in the day and uh, selected most of people that we now work with um, across those different back and middle office functions. Um, but thankfully now that sort of function runs itself. Um, so that's kind of like what I get to do, and also get to talk to people like you. Um, I like to say that I, I put the fun in fund, um, and I love a good jazz joke. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in all honesty, I have a lot of fun doing this, despite being quite a serious person. Um, you know, it is really interesting and, and kind of awesome work.
0: I guess you you don't necessarily like have a typical kind of finance background, or you started studying English, which is you know quite quite the opposite of what you would imagine a VC to have you know studied. But what kind of initially got you to enter the industry, and what's kept you there for you know however long you've been there?
1: Mm -hmm. So I think there are probably three or four things that led me to to wind up in venture, Um, you know, on one level, uh, I think it naturally lends itself to my curiosity. I'm a very curious person. Um, I also care a great deal about what I do every day uh, and the idea that, um, you know, what I do today might impact the future. Um, And then also, I think, you know, I also wanted to be part of something and be involved in work that was quite dynamic fast paced and um evolving constantly evolving i think that's kind of what venture lends itself to um, on the curiosity front you know the world in my my view is constantly changing and venture capital really is concerned with new um, and the constantly evolving new um, real capital uh, sorry real real um venture capital in my opinion you know real early stage venture capital is about seeding new futures. And you get to learn about new futures across hundreds of different industries and challenge domains. So, you know, it's intellectually very stimulating. You study a lot about industries, the structure of them, consumer, psychologies, uh, and the evolution of need and taste. So it's very, very fascinating, I think. Um, And then, you know, the other component about the future and having an impact uh, I think venture capital fundamentally helps build and rapidly scale the future. And if used for good, uh, VC can make an impact rapidly, which is the thing that I'm excited about. Um, and then finally, you know, because VC is always about the new, you're constantly evolving and updating your operating model about the world. So you get to work also with a lot of different types of people that help you do that kind of updating. So different genders, ethnicities, sexualities, and even ages. So it's extremely dynamic uh, as an environment to work in.
0: I guess, you know, that that just highlights how varied your kind of day-to-day job is, which just probably keeps it really exciting. But I wanted to touch on kind of the impact side of things, because a lot of people kind of underestimate, you know, the value VC investors can have in terms of you know, making a positive difference in the world um, and, you know, investing in companies that are creating real life tangible solutions to big problems like climate change. But a lot of people, you know, from the outside will just see VC as kind of money-making machine or, you know, bringing back value to investors and large re- returns. And, you know, that that is fundamentally what underpins it. But do you think kind of the value, uh, the idea that that's all that VC is, is a bit misconstrued? Hmm.
1: Um, you know, I think people really underappreciate the beauty of venture capital. Um, to me, it's the truly only kind of commercial capital, um, pure sort of commercial capital that's in the business of reality creation. Uh, everything else is sort of angel investing, grants, or philanthropy. Um, and without venture capital, we wouldn't have half of the world that we see today, or kind of. Um, if you think about what you use, or touch, or do much of it has been funded or underwritten or touches this early risk capital in some way or form. Uh, and since venture capital is the reality creation business, um, you should of course be paid for taking that early risk monetarily. Um, you know, you're making big bets on where the world is headed. And if you're wrong, you're out. Uh, you, know, you can't be an underperforming venture capitalist in this industry. So there's a lot of performance and impact alignment, I think, by necessity, by focusing on making both the big returns through these sort of semi-long-term investments. At BC firms, uh, you typically don't get a massive salary. You usually get future-carried interest uh, on the capital that you've invested, provided you've invested in these game-changing types of companies. Um, I think in the industry, though, most investors focus on getting returns that are several orders of magnitude greater than what you can get in public markets. Uh, And of course you should, because um, if you could get these kinds of returns in public markets, you'd be way better off being in public markets um, because you can get liquidity a lot faster. Um, But I I do think it's genuinely a bit uninspiring the way most of venture capital community sort of deploys this capital because it's so beautiful uh, in its kind of essence. Uh, I think it's typically concerned with um, backyard inconveniences rather than you know what we do which is structurally changing the world for the better.
0: Which is something I kind of wanted to talk about actually because you know the world is changing very fast um, and you know that comes with you know new and evolving problems one which I already mentioned before which is climate change but what areas and kind of technologies do you think will see the biggest growth and investment within the next five to 10 years on a social impact level? And more generally, like what kind of technologies and areas are you and your fund kind of most interested in and looking into and see like the biggest potential?
1: Mm. So I think, you know, there are three different sorts of businesses that, um, we're going to need to create in order to transition our uh, societies and uh, our industrial bases quickly uh, towards more sort of sustainable uh, business models. Um, so I think for one like tackling climate change and atmospheric carbon is going to be a multi-billion if not trillion dollar industry It's growing at an insane rate. And I really think that, you know, eco-capitalism is gonna be uh, a vibe. Um, You know, I think that uh, we have way more um, obvious symptoms now. It's very readily available with what's happening in the world. And I think a lot of money is going in that space. Uh, You know, the growth of responsible investment, ESG investing, impact investing, this is sort of growing exponentially. and uh, you know, it's really gonna force all firms to fundamentally think about what they're investing in, how they're doing things and how they're making investment decisions. I think it's kind of inevitable. Um, I think the SEC has already spoken about this as is like you know, the CFA Institute, so it's happening now. Um, I think you know, there are different kinds of businesses. So there's gonna be businesses that do direct air capture that use carbon as an input. Um, I sometimes say that, uh, you know, the 20th century's externalities are the 21st century's inputs. I think there's going to be a big boom of that kind of um, industrial type of business. Um, there's going to be also services and enterprise software that um, is used by big corporates to re-engineer how they do things. A lot of that is also going to be geared towards sort of efficiency. Um, not just sustainability, because we sometimes think it up, um, that uh, sustainability is also synonymous with just doing things better, faster, cheaper, etc. Um, so those are the sort of business models that um, I think are going to grow in the kind of sector that's going to grow pretty quickly in the next five to 10 years
0: you touched on kind of esg um and you know that that's been a that's been a big thing in the news recently and you know it's only going to continue growing you see lots of large financial institutions kind of um trying to implement esg models in where they're putting their capital but in terms of the vc community do you think Mm -hmm. that they have like embraced the need to invest in kind of sustainable startups um and you know there is still hesitancy out there because you can see it amongst investors um, in terms of investing in startups, which are sustainable in terms of their business model, but also in terms of, you know, the product or service they're they're building. And do you think investors kind of pass over the sustainability aspect when evaluating startups?
1: Mm. So I think the venture community is still really divided, but I do think it's changing. Um, in a way it's sad, uh, I think people, we really need to see the symptoms of like social unrest or floods and fires to be rallied into doing something. Um, and I sort of sometimes think who cares about your fitness startup if the planet isn't habitable, um, you know, you have to do, I think you basically have to be a bit dense if you don't think the next billion or trillion dollar industries won't be sustainable. Um, all global corporations are pushing in that direction now and also all global investors and you know there's enough data now decades actually and um, visible problems uh, which have capitalized really a push in that direction, uh, particularly in the states um, thankfully recently. Um, in Europe I think that the conversation way more progressed in, in the venture community but in some respects, I sometimes say that tot- uh, Europe's kind of totally irrelevant. Um, it's kind of a rounding error when it comes to climate change. Um, we really need to be paying attention to the US, China and Southeast Asia, um, Africa and South America. Those regions are the most statistically uh, significant and population growth are gonna range anywhere between 70 to 200% by 2050. Um, Europe, by contrast, will actually contract by minus 2%. So you can imagine what that macro trend uh, implies for climate, right, and society.
0: I guess, do you you think that things, what do you think can be changed in terms of, you know, shifting investors' mindsets um, towards kind of um, investing more into, you know, the sustainable side of things?
1: Mm. So I think it's really important to lead by example. Uh, For us and for me, that's by financially outperforming our peers through our impact strategy. Um, I sometimes think, you know, how can you argue with me about our strategy and thesis if it's outperforming yours by 40X? I just think you can't. Um, So, you know, we're steely focused on performance. Uh, I really think that you can harness capitalism for good. And I think you just have to show people that.
0: So I guess some on the outside of you know kind of the tech and startup community might have a more negative view of tech. Um, And, you know, there have been lots of instances where, you know, the bad side of tech has come to light in the news, particularly on the big tech side. But technology can have a huge positive impact if used in the right way. So kind of when evaluating companies, do you come across certain traits um, which suggest that they are trying to build something for the betterment of the world slash humanity?
1: Yeah, so... um... All the businesses we invest in use technology for profound social environmental impact, period. Um, Having impact and generating return are not diametrically opposed. I think it's actually the opposite. In this sort of specific zeitgeist, you know, we've got extreme inequality and pressing climate change challenges. making a dent, I think, and these humongous challenges will necessarily involve making money if you're using technology. What I'm more concerned about, um, which is a view Seth Bannon and I share, he's at like 50 years, is that there aren't enough very talented, very adept people in tech or venture using their skills to do things that actually matter, you know, for society and the
0: world. Do you think there's a, do you think there's a way to kind of change that, try to kind of, you know, really highlight to people within the ecosystem kind of what's out there and what needs to actually to have capital flowing into it to really have an impact rather than something, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the fitness app kind of example. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think there are loads of really inspiring businesses that you just have to tell really beautiful stories around about what's possible. And of course their metrics as well. Um, so for instance, we've got uh, some investments that are in atmospheric carbon, right? And uh, I sort of mentioned that earlier in terms of an area that we're quite excited about. Um, one that uh, as a carbon offset have uh, extracted more carbon from the atmosphere than the entire direct air capture industry to date. Um, and so, you know, showing that they're doing that profitably, working with people like Microsoft and Stripe, uh, I think, you know, you create a very compelling argument. Obversely, you know, that's sort of um, a business case, and that's obviously a, a B2B play and a consumer play that's quite exciting. And again, it captures your imagination. We've got a company that's called Aether Diamonds that sucks carbon out of the atmosphere and for every ton of diamonds can make, uh, sorry, uh, carbon can make $8 million worth of diamonds. Um, and you know, when you think about the provenance of diamonds and um, the people who buy that for you know, jewelry or, or as gifts, um, you know, really thinking about what your purchase does in the world and what your consumption means, um, I think it's a really interesting um, new way of, um, you know, um, consuming something that's a luxury good, um, and also not feeling guilty about it in some respects too, because you know where the diamond came from, which is the sky.
0: That uh, that's a pretty, you know, innovative technology, and I think it's really fascinating. But I kind of wanted to go back to at the start of your career because you know you mentioned kind of how you got into VC but do you have any advice for those who want to break into venture um, in general? Yeah
1: you know I think um, venture capital is the weirdest industry to find yourself in um, because getting into it is still pretty non-linear. There's no path dependency that leads you to doing venture capital uh, in some respects, it's still much a uh, cottage industry, and it's also definitely apprentice business, so you learn a lot by doing and you get into it by doing it, and so it's a bit chicken and egg. Um, as a as a way to get in if you want to get into BC, though I do suggest just being intellectually curious um hunting down what you're passionate about uh of technologically or or also thematics that interest you um broadcasting that passion is important and talking to people who you might be able to shadow so you know you should go ask somebody you really respect for a job Uh, that's what sarah did too and uh in fact, Sarah approached me, but also for a really long time, I was tracking the work she was doing. And so I also think that, you know, if they don't end up hiring you, you should ask them who might be able to based on what you're interested in.
0: It's because it it is, at the end of the day, such a small world. And, you know, you never know what can come from just reaching out to someone and just saying hi. But what would you say has been kind of your biggest career challenge and how did you overcome it? Because, you know, it's probably, there have, been, there have probably been struggles, you know, through the ups and downs of getting to where you are today. Mm.
1: Well, today, um, well, I've faced many challenges uh, and I'm sure I have many more to face, um, but I think one of the hardest things that I had to grapple with early on, but I still um, sort of, until probably the last few years, um, have had to sort of get beyond it was this idea that, uh, you know, I was like legitimately capable and that I belonged to the room with the people that um, I found myself in. You could kind of call this an imposter syndrome, but it was also probably something to do with more self-esteem and awareness about what I could do. So I come from, um, you know, a background of high-performers, of being around high-performing people. Uh, I think that set a very high bar for my own internal expectations um, and you know it's funny my, my friend Mariana Senko she's at uh, Future Birches uh, with Steve Jarvison. one day she just turned around to me and she's like Peter you really need to stop doing that, um, people are going to do that to you, you don't need to do that for yourself. Um, so you know. Getting over that took a lot of time. And I think it's very important to get over that kind of thing uh, about the idea that, you know, you might not be able to do something because you ultimately sabotage yourself, your career and your future options by projecting them out in the world. So my advice is that um, if you've never done something before, just try it. Um, As my friend Jojo says, she says, you know, failure is actually just not trying. You'll be surprised. And I think also, you know, it's been interesting during COVID and watching uh, our leaders deal with that as a, as a global challenge. I think one realization I had more recently is that, you know, the bar is actually much lower than you think it is.
0: That That's some great advice. And I guess sticking kind of on the advice theme, do you have any advice for your 18 year old self? Yeah, yeah. Uh...
1: Honestly, um, what I really like, uh, so Joan Rivers said this to Louis CK before she died. Uh, and he he was asking her, you know, Joan, wow, you've had such an incredible career. Um, does it get better? And Joan was like, Louis, don't be such an idiot. Honestly, it's, it's not about that at all. It doesn't get better, you get better. Um, and I really liked that as an idea. Um, I think growing up, I was pretty depressed and, and um, Sort of listless. Um, I really had these quite strong beliefs that I thought the world was going to end, uh, I thought that humanity was kind of plight, <laughs> um, and nothing mattered, and, and that there was also like nothing that I could do about that. Uh, and I really had no idea how incorrect I was at the time, uh, not just like emotionally, but uh, intellectually. Um, Anyone who tells you that nothing matters is still stuck, in my opinion, in this very like theological view of the world. Um, You know, a world where you need a third party to validate the meaning of what you're doing, um, of what we build together. I think it's really interesting. I get quite philosophical about this, but um, you know, in the age of individualism, we've actually come to realize that we're all reality creators. Uh, and we are doing this every day, hour, minute, second. Um, and we're constantly creating the world we see. And there isn't a third party. So it means that there's, there's no kind of third party for meeting validation. And um, I think the thing to, to remember is that we collectively agree on what is meaningful and what is valuable. Uh, and so I think we're kind of rediscovering this Sort of Hobbesian truth that we're all engaged in a social contract, Um, but I would also add that this contract involves a kind of decentralized process of coming to an agreement of what we should care about, why we should care about it, and how we can sort of care about it in terms of what we build and what we do together.
0: Do you you think that you know your views have drastically shifted since you were eighteen to you know now?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I honestly, I I think you can do so much. And as soon as you start trying, you realize how much you can do. Um, And um, I think we're all waking up to the idea that we've got a lot of responsibility. And that's actually an amazing thing. Um, And we've got a lot of uh, agency to do something about it.
0: On on that note, what kind of then motivates and inspires you to you know do what you do today in terms of you know investing in companies which are literally changing the world for the better Mm. um
1: so what continues to motivate me I would say going back to how I felt back in the day is that everything is not quite okay right now uh environmentally speaking um but also socially um but um you know, it could very easily be better if everyone in, like I said, our individual and, and collective capacities just did something. Just put it in perspective, um, in the context of climate change, you might think, oh, I can't do anything about climate change. Well, 71% of global CO2 comes from just 100 companies, um, for instance, right? So, do I think I can solve climate change myself? No, not me alone. But um, do I think I could meaningfully change a hundred companies in my lifetime? Absolutely. Um, so I have this motto which I, I stole from uh, a Slovenian philosopher um, who I studied when I was at Queen Mary, which is "I know where you're going." Um, and uh, he, he's got the sort of view that we should demand the supposedly impossible, um, because like, who knows? Maybe the impossible is actually quite possible. What if? Uh, it's only really your current perception that's the challenge and not the actual possibility. So I think, you know, lots of things and people inspire me. But honestly, I think the thing that inspires me the most is beautiful things and ideas. So beautiful people, places, experiences, as well as beautiful businesses, um, business models, technologies and um, you know, interventions that will ensure we survive as a, as a global society. And I think that's what motivates me and gets me up every day.
0: It's been fascinating to talk to you. Um, I, I love your kind of optimistic view about how you, know, you, can, you can kind of push forward and change the world if you really want to um so thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will have found what you said valuable and insightful and i really appreciate your time
1: yeah thank you so much for having me um and uh yeah I, I let me know how it goes at queen mary <music>
0: Thank you for listening to The Exploratory Journey and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow all our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn to stay up to date with our future episodes.